0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able sermon series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day, yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in.
1: Well, good morning to you guys. Are y'all having a good morning so far? What a joy it is. I love Baptism Sundays, and I love when we get to celebrate the next steps that uh, our church family is taking, and so what a joy to celebrate with the Romero family today, and I hope and pray that if God's stirring something in your heart about that next step of faith, that you would uh, follow in obedience to what it is that He is asking you to do. It's such a joy to have you here with us today. So have you had those moments in life when you realize, just because I can do something, should I? Just because I can do something, does that mean I should do it? And just because you can do something, does that mean that you should? Have you had those moments before? It's what I like to call those perplexing situations in life where I have the freedom or the right or the opportunity to do whatever I want to do in almost any situation. But does that mean that that's the best for me to do? Does that mean that it's the best thing? Does it mean it's the right thing? Does it mean that I should do it. I'm sure that you've had those moments before where you have found yourself scratching your head like I have when you realize some of the things that people decide to do. And they did it just because they had the right to do it or because they had the freedom to do it. Uh, If you have ever said something that you regretted saying, you've probably thought to yourself, man, I wish I could get those words back. Or maybe you've posted something or you commented on something on social media and you thought to yourself, as soon as I hit enter, I wish I would have not done that. Just because I could doesn't mean that I should have. We all have those moments. I find these moments pretty frequently happen to me in life. One of those moments where I find that it happens sometimes is with youth sports. I love youth sports, and uh, some of you are involved in youth sports. In fact, just by a show of hands, are there any coaches in the room that you guys, you coach or you help with drama or piano or football or baseball, you help in any form or fashion? Proudly raise your hand. Where are all my coaches? Thank you guys for all that you do. Uh, I am an assistant coach. Um, I thought you guys would get a little bit more of a resounding applause than that, but we appreciate it. Thanks. I know that you do it for no pay. Uh, I help a, a be an assistant coach on my son's baseball team, and uh, it's just such a fun experience for me. Speaking of which, the Nolensville Little League Baseball team, I mean, Wor- Little League World Series, uh, three years in a row, that got more applause than for you coaches who show up every week. Uh, And hang out with these kids. But I I love these moments. And so I, I love these opportunities that we have to invest in the next generation. And as an assistant coach myself, let me tell you what we're really, really thankful for. We're really, really thankful when you show up for practice. We're really, really thankful when you offer to help in the dugout. We're really, really thankful when you are engaged and you bring the snacks because practice or game without a snack is a disaster. I mean, we just appreciate that so, so much. However, What we don't appreciate so much is when you have a voice from the sidelines and you use that voice really, really loudly to tell little Johnny to do something contradictory to what the coaches told him to do. Can I get an amen? Because your voice carries. And little Johnny hears your voice. And he's like, well, mom said do this. Seven coaches said do something different. But... (laughs) Mom said this, and so I'm going to do that. We've all been there before, haven't we? And you're probably thinking to yourself, just because I could have yelled that from the sideline doesn't mean that was probably the right thing to do in that moment. Or how about this when You're in a meeting, and there's someone that's leading the meeting, and they're leading it beautifully, and she has 100 people in the room. And the meeting comes, it lands at a really good place, and she makes a mistake. And that mistake sounds like this. When you have 100 people in the room, it's always a mistake to finish your presentation and say, Does anybody have any questions? And some well-intended person in the front row raises their hand with a question that is so bizarre, that is so unique, that the likelihood of that actually ever happening is so rare, but they feel really good in the moment because I was given an opportunity to say something and I said it. And the 99 others of us are just rolling our eyes because we're like, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she asked that we have all been there, haven't we? Those moments where just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Or just because I have the capability to do something doesn't mean that it's always the best thing for me to do. See, we set our sights this morning as we continue in this series called God is Able on this concept of God is able to do anything. And I hope that you know that this morning. God can do anything. But my follow-up question to that is, does God do everything? That we want him to do. God can do anything. God is able to do everything, but does that mean that he always does? That's our big idea for the day. God is capable of doing it all, but does that mean that he always does what we would hope he would do? God is able to do things beyond our wildest imagination. God answers prayer. And sometimes you might be asking yourself, well, why didn't he answer the prayer the way that I prayed it? Why do things happen the way that they happen? See, God is able. God is powerful. God is good. And my prayer is that you would realize all that he is doing in your life, that you would realize all that he is capable of doing in your life, and that you would realize, most importantly, what it is that he wants you to do in your life, what he yearns you to do, how he seeks for you to respond to him. And so my hope and my prayers is that we would all walk away today with just a deeper understanding of how big he is, how able he is, but also a deep understanding that he doesn't always work in the ways that we think he should work, He doesn't always do all that he is even capable of doing. Why? Because he's God and he's sovereign. And there's some understanding that I still may seek to or need to grow in. And so my hope and my desire is that through the word of God today, not through my words, but through the word of God, that you would be encouraged, that you would be challenged, and that he would show you precisely what it is that he wants to show you today. So with that said, let's pray together and ask God to come and do what only he can do today through his word. So Lord, thank you for this day. I'm grateful for each and every person who's assembled in this place today. And I thank you, God, that you are able and that you are big and that you are sovereign and that you are good. And I pray, God, that you would work in ways that can only be described by you today beyond our wildest imaginations as we seek to make ourselves available for you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Our theme verse for God is able, but it's not just this series. Our theme verse for Rolling Hills Community Church, which has been our bedrock verses for the last 20 years that we have been in existence, is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Listen to what it says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. This morning we're focusing on that phrase, who is able. Last week we talked about now to him, but this week it's about who is able. What does that mean? It means that God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. It means that God has within Himself the capacity to do anything. It means that God does not have the human limitations that you and I have. So why does He do all that He does? What is His plan and His purpose for the way that He uh, hears our prayers and the ways that He does these immeasurably more acts? If you scroll back just a few verses to Ephesians chapter three, verse ten, listen to what Paul said. His intent, it's Jesus, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? We're told right here in the Bible that Jesus' intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and to authorities. What does that mean? It means that this concept that God is able, this concept that God can do anything, that is to be told to the world through the church. That is to be proclaimed to the world through the church. And by the church, I don't mean this building that we're in. I mean you as the body of Christ, you as believers, you who are operating as the hands and feet of Jesus. And so it's important for us to ask ourselves that question. God, what do you want to do? What are you doing? What are you able to do? Show me this immeasurably more work that I can't even begin to wrap my mind around because I then want to show that to the world. And it's what Jesus says was the purpose. The purpose was so that that wisdom of God could be evidenced to the world. And so that's why we study, and that's why we seek to unpack this truth of God being able, because it not only changes us, but it changes the world, and it certainly changes the atmosphere around us. Now, hopefully, this goes without saying, but you'll see this here on your worship guide. If you want to follow along and maybe reflect on some of these notes throughout the course of the week, I hope and pray that you have an accurate understanding of this truth. But you see it here on the screen There's nothing our God cannot do, there is nothing our God cannot do. There was a song that we would sing when I was a kid, and interestingly enough, the kids still sing it in family ministry today. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. Anybody remember that song? I mean, I don't know why we don't sing that on the worship stage up here. I mean, our God, because it's such good theology. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. That's the only time I'll ever sing here from the stage. So what is then God able to do? If our God is so big and he is so mighty, then what is he able to do? Well, I don't know how much time you have, but he could literally make it rain lemon drops and gumdrops if he wanted to. He could make you a millionaire, a billionaire, a trillionaire if he wanted to. God could call fire down from heaven to smite all of your enemies. God could cause warts to grow on the noses of the people who don't like you. God is capable of doing all of those things, but that certainly doesn't mean that God does all of those things. There's nothing that he cannot do But God doesn't do everything that he's capable of doing. My friend Mike Minter, who's one of our teaching pastors at Rolling Hills, he was actually here over the summer, such a wise man of God who's been walking with the Lord in pastoral ministry longer than I've been alive. And he said this the other day in a meeting, and and I just latched onto it, and I printed it there for you, and and I want you to reflect upon this. God is not obligated to do what he's able to do. He's only obligated to do what he promised to do. God is not under any obligation to do all of the things that he is able to do. But he is obligated to do what he promised to do. I mean, I think about my family. I am able to give my kids ice cream for every meal. I have the capacity to do that. But I don't because that's not good parenting and it's certainly not good for their overall health. You as an adult, you have the capacity to eat ice cream for every meal if you want to. Did you know that? You have that authority you have that permission. You could go home right now and say, you know what? Ice cream from here on out. In perpetuity, the rest of my life, that's all I'm going to eat is ice cream. Nobody can stop you. You have that right. Does that mean that that's the wisest thing for you to do? Probably not. So that means that there's things that God can do because he's sovereign, but he just doesn't do them. And sometimes it's because he didn't promise us that he was going to do those things. However, There are so many promises of God that are outlined in his word that he will fulfill and that he will do. I mean, I think about the one that's the most significant to me is that God promised he would send a Messiah, he promised that he would send a Messiah who would come and who would save the world from their sins and who, if we call upon him, our lives will be eternally secure with Jesus. And God fulfilled that promise. He sent a precious baby who was born, who was raised, who lived a sinless life, 33 years. He took on the cross for all of our sin. And three days later, he conquered that grave to show us once and for all that he can conquer everything in our life. And it's only by faith in him that our lives can be made right right. And our security is eternal just knowing that we have a home in heaven and we can go to bed at night with great peace knowing nothing will ever happen in my life to shake the fact that God loves me and that God sent his son Jesus to die for me. If you do not know that truth, I hope and pray that you realize that is precisely why God brought you here today, to help you understand the truth that he loves you. When we celebrate baptism, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating uh, these kids who have made a profession of faith to say, "I do not belong to myself anymore, but yet I belong to Jesus." And I hope and pray that God is stirring that in your heart. See, it's a promise of God, and it's a promise that God fulfilled through Jesus. I love Second Corinthians chapter one verse 20. It says, "For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes." in Christ and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God meaning that all of the promises that are outlined in scripture are yes and God will fulfill all of those promises and so hopefully that leads us to a deeper understanding of this truth And you see it up here on your on your screen on your notes when you realize God always keeps his promises it leads you to trusting him even more doesn't it When you realize that God always keeps his promises, it leads you to trusting him even more. Have you noticed in your life that when you're faithful, that always leads to more faithfulness? Or when you grow in discipline, it always leads to more discipline? If you've figured out how to work out three days a week, you're well on your way to figuring out four days a week. If you figured out how to have a quiet time two mornings a week, then you are well on your way to three mornings. You're well on your way to six mornings because that discipline just begets more discipline. And that momentum comes and that trust grows when we realize that God has kept all of his promises. And our faithfulness, his faithfulness shows us that he can be trusted in all things. And so to help us better understand this, we're going to explore a character in the Scripture, one of my favorite characters, actually, by the name of Joshua. And in Joshua, if you have your Bible with you, just kind of flip over closer to the beginning to the book of Joshua. Hop on your mobile device, and you can follow along with us. But this is such a solid, good book because Joshua is a young leader, and he has taken over after Moses has died. In fact, Joshua chapter 1 starts out very, very depressing. Moses has died. And Joshua is now the one who is leading this group of Israelites. And as you can imagine, they weren't really wanting a new leader. They weren't really excited. They have this new guy, he's young, and he's leading this group of people that's kind of cantankerous, and they're a little bit uh, moody, and they're out in the middle of the desert, and they don't really have good food. And some of you can relate to that. You're like, I just moved to a new town, I just took a new job, my kids just started a new school, they started school for the first time, there's all this new, 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 God, what is the promise that you have for me that you're going to be with me in the midst of all of this? We'll go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Because this is what God promised Joshua at the beginning of his kind of ministry with leading the Israelites. He says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Remember that truth this morning. Hold on to that truth. God is saying to Joshua a promise, He's giving him a promise, and God's going to fulfill that promise. He keeps those promises that he makes us. I'm able to help you, Joshua, when you fear. I'm able to help you when you're in your seasons of discouragement. There's not a single step that you will ever walk with these Israelites where you're walking alone. And he's encouraging Joshua to be strong, to trust God, to show courage. And that theme continues all throughout the book of Joshua. And so we're going to set our sights this morning ultimately on Joshua chapter 10. But if you're smart, you realize there's a lot that happens between Joshua 1 and Joshua 10. And so for the sake of time, I can't keep you here for seven hours today. So in just a couple minutes... I'm going to try my best to hit some highlights for you from Joshua chapter 3 all the way to Joshua chapter 10, because we have to kind of understand what's going on for this passage of scripture that we're studying today. So, in Joshua chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, the Israelites have come to kind of one of their first obstacles. And one of their first obstacles is this large river. This Jordan River, that is in their way. And so listen to uh, what Joshua does. God tells him this in Joshua chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Now then choose 12 men from the tribe of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So God says, when you come to the Jordan River, I'm not going to part their waters 100 yards back. Which that's the way we would prefer it, right? Just part the water so that I can really see that all the obstacles are removed. But Joshua was commanded be strong, be courageous. He says, When the feet of the priests step into that water, then and only then will the waters stop downstream, and the Israelites will cross through on dry land. And that's exactly what happened. God kept that promise. Scroll forward to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua now faces a battle with the city in Jericho. And what does God promise him in Joshua 6 two? The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. And Joshua is now given this command that God, I'm going to make you victorious in this battle. And Joshua takes the Israelites. They go into Jericho. They march around the city seven times. They blow trumpets and the city was destroyed. But God did, however, specifically tell the Israelites, do not take any of the goods, the silver and gold, that you find in Jericho and put it into your own treasury. Rather, put it into the Israelites' treasury. It's not for your own benefit, but it's for the good of the people. And there's this man named Achan who sees a robe he just has to have. I mean, when's the last time that you just saw a robe? that you th- I mean, the gold, the silver, I get. But he sees this beautiful robe. And he says, I have to have that. He goes against God's commands. He takes that robe. He hides it in his tent. And as a result of that, as a result of that act of disobedience, the Israelites go into another battle in a city called Ai, and 36 Israelites were killed because of the disobedience of Achan. And they were pushed back by a far inferior army. And it says in Joshua chapter 7, verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And so Joshua and Israel, they confess. This does not bode well for Achan. Uh, He is stoned for his disobedience. Why do I tell you all of this? Because God is able, right? God is able. He fulfills his promises, but God also has a standard by which he expects us to live. And when we go out of the bounds of the standard of God, there is always something that might not go in our favor, that might not work out the way that we would have hoped. Sometimes we don't see all the things God is able to do because we kind of take control of the situation. We want to be in charge and we want to say, I know, God, that you said don't do that, but that robe is so pretty and I want it and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. So all that gets taken care of and the Israelites, they go back and they actually conquer the city of Ai And then there are these kings, there are these five kings who are evil and they see what's happening with the Israelites. And so they all get together and they say, we've got to wage war against Israel because they're getting too powerful. And so I want you to imagine geographically, there's these five kings who are coming together to wage war against Israel. And then there's the place where Israel is currently. And in between that, there is this city called Gibeon. And Gibeon is is this city that, as you can probably imagine, is now filled with fear because they have opposing armies. They have folks who are warring against each other on both sides of the city. And so they travel to see Joshua, and they lie to Joshua, and they make up this story. They say, "'We have come from a far and distant land. Taste how moldy this food is. We come from a distant land. Please protect us. We're afraid of these evil kings.'" And they lie. Lying is bad, right? It's bad to deceive people. And they say, we are from a far off land. Please protect us against these big bad kings. And without consulting God at all, what do the Israelites do? Without any consultation with God, without saying, God, what should we do in this situation? In Joshua chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. And then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. So they did not consult the Lord, should we make this peace treaty with Gibeon? And three days later, they find out that the Gibeonites are not from some faraway land. They come and they say, we're like from all the way from Jacksonville, Florida. We traveled for such a long distance. And the Israelites find out that they're actually from like Brentwood. They're from like right next door. And they made up this deceptive lie. And Joshua and the Israelites have now found themselves in an oath that they keep but they say you have to now be water carriers and woodcutters in the service of the assembly of God. And that highlights for you just some things from Joshua chapter 3 all the way to chapter 10. How did I do on time? Hopefully I didn't take up so much time to do that, but you needed to hear that because when you set your sights on Joshua chapter 10, listen where we start in Joshua chapter 10 verses 1 through 15. Now Adonijah King of Jerusalem heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel, and they had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this, because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonizadek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Dabir, king of Eglon come up and help me attack. At Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. And then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Latius, and Eglon, they joined forces. And they moved up with all their troops and they took positions against Gibeon and attacked it. And the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise, and the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. And Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth-Horan, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth-Horan to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites." And on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon." So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So you have these five kings who says, Gibeon is this important city. Let's take it over. And the Gibeonites call to Israel and they say, please keep your oath to us, And in chapter 10, verse 8, the Lord had already promised Joshua that they were going to be victorious. I mean, tuck that away with everything else that I've asked you to tuck away today. But in order to finish the battle, what does Joshua do? Joshua says, Lord, we need more time to complete this task. So please hold the sun in the sky so that it doesn't set. And it says that for an entire day, it's never happened before, an entire day, that's just what happened. Isn't it cool? Joshua didn't pray for strength for the soldiers. He didn't pray for more provisions. He stood out and looked at the sky and thought to himself, we're probably going to need a little bit more time. So God, if you could keep the sun from setting, that would be awesome. And I'm thinking to myself, if God's able to stop the sun from setting, what could he do for me? If God's able to stop the sun from setting, what could he do for you? What could he do in the life of our church? See, our God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine including holding the sun in the sky so that the Israelites could complete this task that the Lord had given them. Now, that begs a question, and it raises a question in your mind, as I'm sure it raises one in my mind, and I I, I printed it out here for you. Does God then answer every prayer? Does God answer every prayer? He certainly doesn't answer every prayer that I pray the way that I wanted him to. Maybe he answers every prayer the way that you pray the way that you wanted him to, but the Scripture is filled with all of these promises that God hears us when we pray. But 1 John 5.14 says that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Meaning that sometimes what we pray is not in alignment with the will of God. Sometimes what we pray is our ideas or our agenda, and God doesn't do what we wanted Him to do. I firmly believe, though, that God does answer every prayer. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's a wait. It's kind of like if you invite somebody to do something or you send them a text and say, hey, do you want to do this? And some people will reply with yes. Some people will reply with no. And then some people will reply with nothing. They ghost you. And what is that ghosting? It's an answer. It's just a delayed no (laughs) because we don't ever usually come back. It's just kind of a waiting game. And sometimes with the prayers that we pray, God always answers. Sometimes it's an immediate yes. Sometimes it's an immediate no. And sometimes it's just a not yet. And honestly, at times in my humanity, that's really, really frustrating. But as I seek to grow in my understanding of the sovereignty of God, I can still praise him no matter what. And I can still praise him even if the prayers aren't being answered the way that I think they should be answered. Because in the life of Joshua, he was seeing those miracles. I mean, rivers were stopping from flowing. Sun is setting. And it's not setting. It's standing still, so that they can continue this battle. But hopefully, you catch even in this passage of scripture that these miracles are not about the person receiving the miracle, because when we receive miracles or we see miracles, we obviously reap the benefits of that, don't we? But the miracles really aren't about us. God always uses miracles to bring glory to Himself these sun stand still prayers, God always uses those miracles to bring glory to himself. Go back to Joshua chapter 4 verse 24, and this is in reference to the Jordan River stopping. It says that he did all of this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This miraculous act happened not so that Joshua would be made great, This miraculous act happened so that Joshua and the Israelites would have an opportunity to proclaim to the world just how good God is. When Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still, he did so in the presence of Israel so that they would see that God was the one providing for them. Did you catch in verse 8 that God already promised Joshua that they were going to be victorious? He fulfilled that promise. Joshua follows through with this prayer as a reminder to the people that God is victorious and that God is glorious. And that manifold wisdom of God was now shown to everyone. And everyone is now able to see that this had to be God. He says, don't be afraid. I've given them to you. No one will be able to withstand you. I believe that in this place right now, there are some bold prayers that God is asking some of us to pray. I believe that there's some bold prayers in your life that God is asking you to pray, and those bold prayers are not for your own personal benefit. Those bold prayers aren't just because what you get out of the situation, but there are some bold prayers that I believe we should trust God to answer that will make a beautiful proclamation to the world that God is here, that God loves you, and that God has an incredible plan for your life. That's what God is doing through these acts because he is able to show the world who he is. Is. I had a privilege this summer of spending a week down in the Amazon... Uh, Working with our Jungle Pastors Conference through uh, Justice and Mercy International, which is the nonprofit uh, missions arm that our church started back in 2008, and I have uh, just so enjoyed my opportunities to go down and work with these awesome ministers and pastors and missionaries. And as a part of this work, one of the things that we always do is we interview every pastor or we interview every missionary who's there. And my my group that I was with, we had a privilege of interviewing this one lady, and uh, she had this incredible story that she we shared with us. We said, "Tell us about something." you've seen God do in your life. And so she launches into this story about when she was serving in Africa. And she was Brazilian, and she's serving in a a different part of the world in Africa. And it had been a pretty recent thing. And so she was talking to us about this particular uh, setting where she was serving. It was a predominantly Muslim setting, and she was working with Muslim women. And they were coming near the end of their rainy season, and it had not rained. And as you can imagine, these women and men are watching their crops literally die before their eyes. And in a moment of what I deemed really, really extreme faith, I think it was pretty normal faith for her, she said, I'm going to pray that God would make it rain. And I'm going to go to these Muslim women and I'm going to tell them, my God hears me when I pray, yours doesn't. And I'm praying for it to rain, to sh- for him to show you that he is good. And she boldly prayed that prayer. And it wasn't long that the raindrops started falling. And some of these women that she had been ministering to, that she'd been sharing the gospel with, one of them particularly picked up the phone and called her and said, I now believe in your God and I want to know him. And I think about this moment because that sounds like a biblical miracle to me, but the biblical miracles happened then and they happen now because she had the faith to say it's not about me, it's not about my own preservation, it's not about my own agenda, but it's about God's name being proclaimed and she had that faith And God showed her who he was and what he was capable of doing. See, God is more than able. God is more than able. But did you know that God invites you and I to take steps of faith into that incredible story he's writing? He's more than able. But he invites you and I to take steps into that incredible story he's writing. It's why it says in verse 14, there's never been a day like it before. A day since when the Lord listened to a human being, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. God promised us that he would work, but yet he calls us to get to work. God is the one who saves people, but you and I get the privilege of sharing those words. God had already promised Joshua you're going to be victorious in this battle. But yet Joshua still stakes that step of faith in front of everyone to say we need to listen to God. He's going to do what only he can do, and God did just that. So I pray that we take away this morning that we have to realize that God is able but we also have to realize that there are steps of faith that I have to take. Sometimes as a pastor, um, some of my most perplexing moments are when I'm tasked with trying to understand and figure out why did God heal your child but not his child? Sometimes we get in these quandaries where you're praying for a husband and you're praying for a husband, and God brought you a husband, and God didn't bring you a husband. Why? Why did your dad die so young when he was such a good person? And why did this vile man over here, who, from my opinion, didn't do anything right in life, just turned 90? In moments of honesty and in moments of transparency, I'm sure you've asked yourself those questions as well. But in those moments of asking those questions, my hope and my prayer is that we would turn our eyes back to God and say, God, I don't always know why you do the things that you do. I don't always know why you work the way that you work. I don't always know what it is that you're accomplishing, but I do know that you are able and I do know that you are good and I do know that I am instructed and I am asked to take steps of faith to be obedient to you. Remember when I asked you to tuck this away, that the Gibeonites had lied to the Israelites? why would one of the most incredible miracles that the world has ever seen be shown to protect a group of liars? Why would one of the most incredible miracles we've ever seen be shown to protect a group of deceivers? I don't know. We don't always know why God does what he does, but we do know he is able. Amen. We don't always know why God operates the way that He does, but we know that when confronted with those choices to trust myself or to trust Him, I am always going to benefit more from placing my trust solely on His shoulders and in His love. Just because God can doesn't mean that He always does. And just because God doesn't, doesn't mean that I should stop trusting Him or believing Him. My friends. God sees you today. God is for you today. And God is able. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so I pray this morning that you would walk out of these doors saying, God, I know that you are capable of doing something that would truly blow my mind. And so help me to see it, not for my benefit, but for the edification of others and for the world to know that you are good. God is here, and I pray that you will trust him today Pray boldly, live boldly, live courageous. Don't be discouraged because God is here and he is for you this morning.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.